Welcome to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, a show where we inform, inspire, and empower you, our listeners, businesses, and communities for the common good of humanity. Be the change that you want to see in the world. Again, you are listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and I am your host. I am so excited about the show that we are going to do today. It means so much to so many people in this country um, because we're talking about how to live a life free of pain, and yoga is the key to that. So yoga for a life free of pain, and I know this is really, really important to a lot of people because there are a lot of people in our country that are in a lot of pain. So we want to make sure that you tune into this show. So if you know someone that's struggling with pain, you want to call them and tell them that they need to listen to the show today. And we have the perfect person on the show today who is going to be talking to us about living a life free of pain through yoga. And that is uh, Dr. Anhil Brana, and he describes this as a nation living in pain, and how yoga can help. Yoga can help you live pain free. Now, I want to tell you a little bit um, about him, because Dr. Brana has a wealth of experience and knowledge, and um, and he brings all of this to um, this topic that he's going to talk about today. Um, He is a diplomat of the American Board of Preventive Medicine, a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. He's a medical health informaticist and a retired captain of the U.S. Public Health Service. He's also a certified yoga instructor and coach but he does a lot of independent consulting for primary health care services, such as planning and development and outcome evaluation and training, um, introducing patient-centered medical homes, global health, HIV-AIDS care and treatment, electronic medical records, and all-hazardous preparedness and response. So I want you to help me welcome to the show Dr. Anhil Brana. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brana. Thank you very much for the invitation, Juanita. This is a pleasure sharing with you the little knowledge that I have got from my life of pain myself. So thank you very much for inviting me, and I hope that the information that we can give tonight to our friends uh, is good. For, for them to manage their own pain, whether it's physical or emotional. Oh, oh, that is so excellent. And we know that we need that in this country. And you're going to help us, um, help us to understand a little bit more about pain. So I want to jump right in here and, and get started. Now, when you talk about pain, what exactly is pain? How, how do you define that? When we, we say pain, what does that mean? Well, let's, let's use a very standard, you know, academic definition first. Uh, let's talk about pain as defined by the International Association for the Study of Pain. Mm-hmm. An unpleasant sensory and emotional experience 
associated with actual or potential tissue damage. See that this definition is talking about unpleasant sensory and emotional experience mm. associated with actual or potential tissue damage. That tells you about the comprehensiveness of what pain is going to be because pain can be associated with a wide range of injury and disease. Sometimes disease itself produces pain, you know, cancers, uh, mm-hmm. fractures, postoperative pains, malignancies of all, of all sorts. They are the most classic uh, ways that we uh, identify or that we know pain. Mm-hmm. Whether it is acute, you know, the most immediate pain to a, any trauma, or chronic, when it becomes long-term, we talk about chronic pain when we go beyond the 12 weeks with this sensory and emotional uh, perception, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it, the, the situation with pain in the past the conceptualization that we have for pain was basically the tissue damage sending information to the brain about the damage. Now we are thinking or we're thinking that the brain is the one that interprets how much of a pain we have for the same amount of injury, which is a Mm. complete different approach. Uh Because the very moment that we incorporate experience, the very moment that we incorporate uh, the muscle imbalances, the altered neuromuscular controls, typically those are managed relatively well with basic medication, with physical therapy, because we're talking about the circuitry of tissue damage, brain interpretation, and the response. But once we incorporate the emotional system, when Mm -hmm. we modulate those uh, sensations into what is called a neuropsychoaffective pathway, is when we become into trouble is when we give a different color to the sensations and we incorporate then the psychoaffective systems of the brain and that is what the difficulty managing pain. Okay, so, so basically what, what you're saying, because I, I, I want to I break it down a little bit. When we talk, there's an emotional component of, of, of pain that you're saying may be coming from the brain, and that's kind of how we're looking at pain now a little bit differently. And it may not just be physical, that there's something going on with the brain too that um, sort of uh, adds another layer or component to this pain. Absolutely, absolutely. That is what okay. makes the difference. Because wow. for the same amount of trauma, for the same amount of tissue mm-hmm. damage, there are people that don't feel any pain at all. And oh, you, wow. do some, you do some, you do some uh, laboratory work, you do some x-rays, mm-hmm. and you find mm-hmm. all sort of deformities, and people do not complain nothing. 
That's interesting. And other people are completely disabled, and you don't find physical evidence of the pain. So there must be something else other than the damage of the tissue. So that's the new reinterpretation. The new reinterpretation is how the brain conceptualizes the damage. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an, an analogy. You are, you are, you are jogging in the, in, the, in the countryside. Okay. You have a misstep. You hurt with a stone. You have some damage there, some hit, some mm -hmm. hurt. Mm -hmm. Depending on how you perceive the significance of that trauma at that moment, whether you pay attention or not, is more of a, of a brain activity towards the lesion. But if you are chased by a bear that is mm -hmm. <laughs> around, the pain disappears because you have to fly out of that hurt. And, and that is the most simple explanation in terms of uh. how much the brain pays attention to the hurt. Now, this is so exciting for me because I, I have noticed the same way. Like when you're really, really busy and you've got a lot going on specifically and you're engaged with a lot of people, it's almost like you don't feel pain in, in, that, in those moments. But then as soon as everyone is gone and you're kind of sitting down, then it really starts to bother you. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and, that, and that's and that's what we that's what we call the pain modulation through this neuropsychoaffective ah. pathway. That is, it is called the central sensitization in chronic pain. That's the new model that we are dealing with. It's called central sensitization in chronic pain, and that is a difficult one because sometimes it's a matter of all the circumstances around pain. Uh, if you develop memory of pain, this is very difficult. That's more aligned with the uh, neuralgia type of pains. Uh, two plus two is four, even if you don't want to think about it. The four mm -hmm. jumps into your mind. Pain mm -hmm. sometimes mm -hmm. happens that way. You have a memory of circumstances that bring the pain, and you are feeling the pain as if it was the first day. Mm. So part well, I, I, of the I, uh, yes. uh -huh. Go ahead. No, I was saying that part of dealing with pain, with chronic pain in particular, mm -hmm. other than resolving a physical problem that might be doing harm, because if you have a broken bone, you have a broken bone. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But part of dealing long term with the pain is figuring out how we desensitize those circuitries, how do we reprogram those circuitries, and that's in, that is when a, a lot of methods that we are looking into managing pain with meditation, with uh, counseling, mm -hmm. with psychological mm -hmm. approaches, all the different approaches mm -hmm. are targeting the same, from different perspectives, trying to target that desensitization. How do we desensitize right. that circuitry? So I know you said that there's a, a burden of pain on our everyday life because we know that there are a lot of people um, who live in pain. So what, what are some of the, the studies or, that you've looked at related to the burden of pain just on everyday oh, life for most individuals? Pain, pain is a pain. Chronic mm -hmm. pain is affecting almost 100 million Americans. Compare that to diabetes, that is about 25 uh, to 30 million. 
A hundred million Americans People are affected, affected by, by pain. pain. Yeah, by pain also. And I will tell you in a minute, you know, that, uh, you know, what are the, the breakdown of those uh, categories? You have, for example, coronary heart disease and heart attacks. We're dealing about 16 million people. Mm-hmm. Cancer, about 20 million people. So chronic pain is a very difficult uh, situation. Mm-hmm. It is, it is uh, calculated that the cost is about a $560 to $600 billion in 2010 dollars. So we're talking about a lot of money combined with the you know, medical costs, the economic mm-hmm. costs related to disability, loss of wages, productivity. Mm. Half of the hospitalized patients, half of all hospitalized patients experience pain in the last days of their lives. 50 wow. to 75 percent have died in moderate severe pain. 20 mm. percent mm. of the adults, which means about 42 million people, they have pain or physical discomfort that disrupts their sleep any week of life. Now, the more, the more common type of pains that have been recorded are mm-hmm. headache, back pain. Well, low back pain is the first one, about mm-hmm. 20, you know, 27, 30% of the people. He- headaches and migraines, neck pains, and fascial and head pains around. Back pain is the leading cause of disability on the 45 mm-hmm. years old. Wow. And, uh, you know, at least 30% of the adults with low back pain have limited activity that makes difficult daily life activities and work. About 50% of the people will say that they have no control over their pain. Mm. 60% of the people complain of pain one or more times daily. Uh, and, you know, 60% report that they impact the overall enjoyment of life. And what is worse, three-quarters will go into feeling depression. Well, that yeah. compounds, compounds mm-hmm. the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, trouble concentration, energy mm-hmm. level on the pains, inability to sleep well, that, those three aspects, inability to sleep, depression, uh, energy level, trouble concentration, was that turned me into a yoga student and eventually getting my training to become an instructor in yoga because I am a patient with a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And I want mm-hmm. to make sure that we understand the concept that is misunderstood. A lot of people, you will hear them talking about a pain patient. Don't ever allow anybody to tell you that you are a pain patient because that implies that you are looking for opioids or medication. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the way, you know, the system talks about people that have pain because... Mm-hmm. We have failed, honestly. As physicians, clinicians, we have failed to manage pain. Mm -hmm. And we have trouble because we don't have the tools 
particularly because of the difficulties that I told you. And then we stamp the patient. We say, that's a pain patient. Something as if I cannot work with it. I cannot work right. with her. Like they're so just coming I, in to get medicine or something like that, to get medication. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So I am a patient with pain because I had multiple disc herniations when I, when I was a medical student. I was mm. lucky that I was treated very conservative at the time. Right. Then I had a car accident in 1993 that I flipped over my G, so I have a vertebral oh, fracture wow. and multiple, oh, okay. multiple traumas. Then actually last year, Practicing yoga, let me tell you, I had a fall because I misstep doing something that I should not have been done, and I fractured yeah. two more vertebras. Oh, my so, goodness, wow. <laughs> so you, oh, if, no. if somebody can talk about pain, <laughs> it's my You can do it from experience. Oh, my gosh, this is, this is really, really good, and it's such an important, important topic because you know now because of the opiate crisis, but before we... We get into that because that is really going to, I think, open up our eyes about what is going on in our country. I mean, we hear about it, but we want to hear about it from you and exactly what's happening now. So we're going to take a short break now, and we will be right back, and we're going to dig into some additional areas here that you have to share with us about pain and then maybe some of the solutions that you're talking about. This is this show is so needed. So listeners out there, if you're listening Absolutely. to the show, please tell someone. Tell someone to tune in to the show because we're talking about pain. And, you know, you've heard Dr. Brandon said over 100 million people in our country are dealing with some type of pain. So we need to know and understand what the facts are and perhaps what we can do and do a better job at how we're managing pain. But we're going to take a short break now, and we will be right back. You've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and I've been talking to Dr. Angel Brenna about pain and about how yoga um, is a solution to pain. So we're going to hear more about that as we come back on the show. Don't you go anywhere. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and I'm talking to Dr. Angel Brenna about pain. And so, Dr. Brenna, I wanted to ask you, there is a major opiate crisis in our country. We hear about it all the time on the news, um, talking about it, um, the number of deaths that are associated with opioid overdose or some other type of, of drug, fentanyl, whatever it is that's in some of these, these drugs. So I want you to talk a little bit about opiate use and, and, and abuse. I mean, why are we here? Why are we with this problem right now? Well, actually, <clears throat> this is a, a, a simple and complex answer because our system, you know, the ethos of our society is looking mm-hmm. for a, a simple and fast answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pill is the fastest answer. Secondly, we treat access to care as a commodity rather than as a necessity. So we are selling units of service to produce money. And I don't have time as a clinician in the system that we have designed Mm -hmm. in our nation to talk to the patient, to identify causes, to identify those emotional circumstances that 
make the pain to become chronic. And again, going back to the central sensitization of chronic pain is something that needs a discussion, a full disclosure of circumstances of how pain came to be and how I want to work with it. So the easiest way to get out of that in 5, 10, 15 minutes is to give a pill. Now, mm-hmm. let's tell you something. Prescription drugs are the second most abused category of drugs in the United States. Uh, Can you believe uh, that? Uh. Among 12 years old graders, pharmaceutical drugs and non-medical prescribed are six of the ten most used substances. Okay? Painkillers are considered the major contributor to the number of deaths. One third of people... Wait a minute. Well, I, wa- I want you to say that again. You're saying painkillers are, are considered the one? a major contributor to the total number of drug deaths. Oh painkillers. So, so, so listen, this is not about drug dealing in the streets. We're talking about prescriptions. Mm-hmm. It is a shame that physicians and prescribers are using, giving painkillers pain to people that don't need it because they don't know better, unfortunately. So then we have, uh, uh, we have, you know, almost one third of the people age 12 and older who have used illicit drugs for the first time started with prescription drugs non-prescribed. So the initiation to drugs is prescribed drugs for kill, for, for painkilling. Uh-huh. You know, we have already two million or more than two million people aged 50 and older that are using drug prescription drugs to manage, you know, their own circumstance and they don't have any need for those medications, so, so they are self-medicating. But now let me tell you something, something that is happening very interestingly. As marijuana has been used more recently, uh-huh. the use of heavy drugs is decreasing. Which oh, is really? something that is, <laughs> yes, this is something that I've been fascinated with because less alcohol is being used, Less uh, drugs in general use. What is that? Because so, people are uh, moving to marijuana use or cannabis. Because it's easier, it's easier, and it's a easier, easier, easier substance and less problematic. This is something yeah. that we're just starting to see. This is something that we we have to see long term. Because remember that marijuana has been always, always thought to be an enabler drug uh-huh. to heavier drugs. Sort of a gateway, yeah. A uh-huh. gateway drug. I'm, I'm not sure uh-huh. that the evidence is going to show that because what uh-huh. we are seeing now in some areas is decrease of heavy drugs when they start using marijuana. So, again, these are interesting facts because since we didn't have the population, since we didn't have people using marijuana liberally, we don't have uh-huh. the results. We have only the, the, the negative perception of drug use. So yes, drug use is is a problem, and is a composite of our, you know, immediate gratification type of 
situation. Uh, we self-medicate with alcohol and with painkillers to deal with our life circumstances. So that's a, that's a reality. That's a reality, and we have to deal with that, and it's going to be very, very difficult. Very difficult because we are not accepting what the situation right. is. Well, you know, the interesting thing is uh, it, the United States has a big issue with the opiate crisis, but that's not the same in many other countries. And you would think that there would be similar kinds of usage, but I think, you, you know, you, you alluded to some of it at the beginning in that we do a lot of, you know, because of the time involved, because of the, the profits involved, a lot of times, we, it's quicker to get that pill and for that provider to move on, um, you know, because of the system that we have in our country. So um, that's why we have so much of an issue, I suppose, as opposed to some other countries that are not dealing with the same issue. Oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. You know, we criminalize drug use rather than, you know, see it as a mental health issue. Uh, and, you know, we the very moment that we put this into the criminal setting, we, we have trouble. We have trouble. Drug overdose is becoming the leading cause of death in the United States. That's unbelievable. What is? What did you say? Drug overdose is becoming Drug a leading overdose. cause of death. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, among 25... And that's driven by who, the opiates and the fentanyl and the heroin. Yes, yeah, the oxycodone, the hydrocodone, yeah. the methadone. Yeah. You know, the yeah, drug overdose... Is causing mm-hmm. right now more death than motor vehicle accidents in the productive age group from 25 to 55. And I so think you know, some of it, 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 and it's more more of a uh, from a philosophical uh, standpoint. I think that in our environment, um, you know, certainly it, it's our part of our healthcare system and and how that's built is some of the profit you know, that, that goes into the healthcare system and, you know, we have so, there's so much profit involved, you know, that reasons why, um, you know, drugs are pushed and, and that incentive and that kind of thing. But more so, too, we, we live in a society, I think, in this country that's very stressful. Our society is stressful. It's fast-paced. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's a, a very... You know, it's just different in, than, than some other cultures in terms of, of how we do things. It's a very fast-paced society, and there's a lot of pressure, and there's a lot of stress, and there's not a lot of support systems, and, and so um, it, it's easier sometimes to just keep going, take a pill, because I don't have time to do this, this, and this for my pain. I just need to be able to take something and keep going. Do you see oh, some of that as being you- an issue? You you have said it. You have said it. You know, we are a society of individualism. I think that our individualism Mm. is already Mm -hmm. in our genetics. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't live in a community. We don't have a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to Europe, you go to Mm -hmm. Europe, and you go to a restaurant. Restaurants are small, and they are packed full. Mm. And you are seated in in the first chair that is available with people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And then you start a community right there. Mm-hmm. In our restaurants, you are waited until the chair or the table or the booth is empty. So sometimes you are by yourself in a booth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
so right there, right there, you know, you have this isolation. You don't have anybody to talk. You don't have anybody to share your own existential angst to release stress. So it's easier. It's easier to take a pill and keep on moving. Mm. You know, self-medicate the stress. That's, that's why yoga came into place, as I see it. Uh-huh. Because yoga, on the other hand, is something that is not well understood uh-huh. uh, and goes back to the philosophy of life of ourselves. Yoga, the yoga that we know in the Western Hemisphere is the yoga uh-huh. that has been evolving the last 60 years. Uh, and most of it has been designed in India at some point when they adopted the physiculturism and exercise ethos of the metropolis that came into India. Because before that, yoga is practiced as a whole philosophy system. The yoga that we see and that we most people relate to is about doing poses, perhaps Mm -hmm. doing some exercise, some breathing, perhaps some meditation, but not really. They are more into the physical aspects of building up a body, building stretches. But that is only one piece out of eight aspects. They are called the eight limbs of yoga because Mm -hmm. yoga is a complete philosophical framework uh, where you have ethical behaviors for the other, ethical behaviors for yourself, the asanas, which are the poses, is a way of building resistance, building capacity, a stretches that gives you range of movement. And soothes mm-hmm. breaks, though, the, remember the, the, the cycle that I was talking earlier about mm-hmm. the center sensitization of pain? You break mm. those circles, those circuitry, by doing movement. That's why movement helps so much in relieving pain. Mm. There is the mechanics of pain that travels. When you have a pain sensation, the pain sensation seems to travel faster in the nervous nervous system. Whether Mm. the movement, which is positional, uh, neurological uh, electricity, goes much faster because that's the uh, nerve system that maintains your posture. So when you move, when you massage your skin, you are producing a barrage of afferences to the brain that blocks Mm -hmm. afferences of pain. That's why doing exercises, stretches, any type of exercise, but in particular the one that we do in yoga, helps break down those circuitries. Uh, the breathing, the breathing is another way of uh, changing the way the brain interprets your, your, your pains because it blocks them. Uh, the meditation is another way of calming the mind, uh, focusing on these aspects of the medication, uh, 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 giving space to think beyond your, your life circumstances that are hurting, whether emotionally mm-hmm. or physically. Mm-hmm. So that's why yoga as a system of ideas that incorporates not only the postures, 
but again, a lifestyle, nutrition, you know, again, ethical behaviors, which is basically the golden rule, you know, don't do unto others what you don't want to do unto you. Uh, So all of those things, you're saying all of those things can impact how your brain perceives that pain and perhaps the pain decreases because of your breathing or your ability to focus on something that's very different than that pain, and all of that can impact your pain? Absolutely, absolutely. That's when you, say, say, for example, when you go to a psychologist and they're teaching you into meditation, into mindfulness, into mm-hmm. progressive relaxation, which are psychological methods to deal with pain. That's what they're doing. That's what they're teaching to you to divert your attention into other activities. Mm-hmm. Well, yoga, by definition, by definition, is mm-hmm. the way of concentrating on a, an image, imagery, that is, mm. again, it's a combination. It's a combination of the physical therapy with the stretches, with the movements, with the mind-brain connection, mm-hmm. you know, the psychological therapy involving education, you know, imagery, cognitive pain control. Those are methods that, psychological, that psychology will use with you. And those are parts, important mm-hmm. parts of yoga. Wow. Now, the problem sometimes, as I'm seeing in, in, in our studio sometimes, is that since people are looking, number one, people are looking into the physical aspect mm-hmm. of the exercise. If you are going to do exercise, do exercise in the gym. Yoga is not a method to build a six-pack for sure. That's not the issue. The exercises, the postures, give you flexibility, gives you strength, mm-hmm. helps you with your posture. A lot of the back pains are postural. Mm-hmm. And that helps control pain tremendously. Uh, but don't do yoga for the exercise part of it. Do all the exercises, okay. do bodybuilding, do any other mm-hmm. thing. The, the exercise right. on yoga is to help control your body, help uh, strengthen postural-wise, give you the sense of well-being, and the same with the breathing. Now, the problem sometimes is that people that are recommended now yoga because this is a fat now, do yoga, do Pilates, do Reiki, do whatever. The problem is that people that come to the studios already have a handicap. And if you put those individuals into a regular routine of yoga, they're going to get hurt more. Mm. So if you are planning to do yoga, Mm-hmm. You have to identify the right studio, the right instructors, because you have to be assessed first to see how physically fit you are to do any type of exercise. Now, what is that your they range would be assessed by, a regu- by their regular physician or get maybe approval or from their regular physician as to whether or not they should engage in yoga? It, Right. I would say I would say the following. If if people want to do if people are serious about doing yoga, mm-hmm. they should have a good assessment by a good physical therapist about 
what is their status right now in terms of capacity mm. to do exercise. Mm. Because the first thing to do in any type of stretches or exercise is to learn what is your range of movement. Because since we live in a sedentary life, our range of movements are limited because we don't do anything. So if you are going to do yoga and you are going to do practicing some postures that already are to some extent a little ex, uh, uh, extreme postures and mm-hmm. you don't have the range of movement, you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. first thing to do is to first assess your capacity at this point mm-hmm. and then have instructions towards improving your range of movements because, again, yoga is not about postures. And that's a misconception. The postures is something to help you build strength and capacity of muscles and flexibility and mm-hmm. help with your brain and your, your composture, but not to develop now all of a sudden, you know, musculature as you would do doing weights. And that's, again, you have to do yoga, but not to get hurt. And I, I'm seeing that all the time. People sure. that go to the studios, yeah. and again, they are already handicapped because they're already with all sort of problems. And the assessment is not well done, and you start doing certain movements that are, you know, contraindicated. There are a lot of the postures in yoga that I would not never recommend to anybody because they are not correct. They are not yeah. appropriate, you know. So tell me this, if if someone goes to, say, a physical therapist and they are assessed and basically they're told, okay, this is your your range of motion and maybe some things that you're dealing with, and so then that person, um, you know, and they tell the person they can do yoga, so they come to you. Now, what do you do? You take that information that has been provided to that patient, um, to that person, you know, yeah, in terms of their range of motion, and you start working with them based on that and then what they're telling you their problems are. How do you interpret that information to start to customize a program? Right. Specifically you have them? said it. That's the word. That's the word, customize. Mm-hmm. You know, People, I have a program. I, I do yoga and I coach people for 12 weeks. And I start mm. explaining what is yoga, number one. What is, what is the philosophical system of it? Why do we do postures? Why do we do these particular postures? I don't do any posture that is not functional in our daily living. A lot of the postures in yoga that you see because of this mode of doing exercise and extreme movements, you never do in your life, in day life. You, know, you, don't, mm-hmm. you don't walk in your head. You don't do any of those extreme postures like a gymnast or like a contortionist. But some people do them, and you are going to get hurt. So the first thing is don't do any movement, any posture, mm-hmm that doesn't mm-hmm. seem physiological, that doesn't serve any purpose in life, mm-hmm. right there you are, going to be, you are not going to be hurt. Now, why we have so many postures? Because you are exercising every single muscle of the body, and that's good. Mm-hmm. But you have right. to select for that particular individual. Mm-hmm. People that have arthritis, I personally have a spine mm-hmm. that you will be crazy how it looks. But those mm-hmm. bones are deformed 
by trauma and by the way the body reacts trying to accommodate to the new architecture and that keeps on changing and you develop more problems. Mm -hmm. The first thing to do is to correct the posture. If you don't have a correct posture, you are going to get hurt because you are not doing the right things. Mm-hmm. So, so honestly, the approach to chronic pain has to be a very holistic approach, right? You have yeah. to approach it from all perspectives. What is the cause, if you can find it? Most mm-hmm. of the times, you don't find a cause, most of the times for pain. And then approach it from a very holistic point of view. You know, what are you doing? What are your emotions? Uh, How can we block the attention that you are paying to this pain? Mm -hmm. And and then it will work. mm -hmm. Otherwise, we we are Mm -hmm. in the vicious circle of medication. I get Mm -hmm. hurt. I, I keep doing this and that, but without the right coaching... I think one of the things that you've stressed, um, you know, over and over on the show is the emotional component of the pain, and that's something that we cannot ignore. Is that you? You, you certainly need to um, find um, some assistance and some help in dealing with that emotional component. And you're saying that yoga can do, can help you do some of that through meditation and learning, I guess, breathing and deep breathing, um, because all of that will certainly benefit you in terms of relaxing your mind and sort of taking you to a very different level where you're not focused on that pain, learning how to do that. That's really important. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Say, for example, deep breath. Why do you focus on deep breath? Well, when you when you focus on the breath, mm-hmm. you have better control of the movements of your mm. body. Mm. And that reduces the potential of injury. Mm-hmm. The attention of the breath, and, and this, is, this is physiologically, when you pay attention to the breath, the attention shifts mm. from mm-hmm. the automatic breathing, which is an automatic function of the brainstem, to the cerebral cortex, which is the attentional part of the brain. So you are shifting how the pain is managed from the mm-hmm. automaticity to the conscious. So thoughts and emotions then are bypassed. Mm-hmm. And then you are, you are bringing awareness on your whole thing. Uh, the reduced emotional mm-hmm. strength and random thoughts is what helps you control mm-hmm. pain. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a, a this is a physiological way mm-hmm. of changing the way. Remember the central sensitization of chronic pain, mm-hmm. because right. you are breaking the circuitry at a more automatic way of managing pain and bringing it to the cortical level. And then we talk about mindfulness, and then we talk Uh about forgiveness, and then we talk about radical acceptance, then we talk Uh about getting out of your mind and to your life. Uh Those are strategies of focusing attention on other than the pain. Uh But again, you go to a psychologist and they will give you 
you know, guidance into mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you yeah. practice mindfulness? You know, how do you practice mindfulness? How do you calm the chatter on, on your yeah. brain? Yes, exactly. It's kind of hard to All do of sometimes that, in a very fast-paced society and with our daily lives. It's, you know, there's hardly ever any time that many people have to do that, but it's necessary in order to really truly deal with some of the chronic pain as opposed to just going straight to medicines and trying to do it through medication. Yeah. Right. And, and again, and meditation is, a, is an art also. You know, mm-hmm. meditation requires training. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not that you, in what mm-hmm. are you going to meditate, you know? Actually, mm-hmm. for pain, I, I mean, I've been surprised the different uh, research that has been done. Uh, when you uh, meditate, depending the type of meditation that you do, you affect different aspects of your life in terms of mindfulness, in terms of mm-hmm. what we call radical mm-hmm. acceptance. Mm-hmm. in terms of forgiveness. So those yeah. are very specific meditative methods, you know, mm-hmm. or strategies. Those have to be trained into. Uh, sometimes people, I, I was told by my friends, can you think about the beach, about the waves, about the birds? Right. And I say, yes, yeah. I can think about those things, but the chatter in my mind is bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was not that easy to... Yeah. It takes Bring time to really learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. This right, is really, right. this is so, so important. And so um, it, it's a wealth of information to, for us to really start thinking about um, doing those things to really help us in our day-to-day lives. Because part of it is just really dealing with the stress a little bit better um, because we internalize a lot of that stress and then, you know, somehow we have inflammation and, and all of these other things too, that you know lead to a lot of the the pain that we have. So I, I am. This is. I, I'm so glad that we're doing this show with you, Dr. Branna. Um, we're going to take a short break now, and we're going to come back and let you give us some final reflections on your thoughts about pain um, and moving forward, um, both in our lives and you know in the country in terms of where we where you think we're headed. Um, um, but I'm so glad that we're doing this. We're going to take a short break now. Um, you've been listening to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Common Good Show with Juanita Farrow. And so, Dr. Brenna, um, with everything that we have said today about pain and how important this issue is in our lives and in society, I, I can't get that number out of my head, 100 million people dealing with some type of pain um, in this, this country um, today. So what are your final reflections and recommendations about moving forward? Well, first of all, it's recognize that pain can be managed. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. That pain has to be reconceptualized in terms of how the brain incorporates the conceptualization of your pain, how the emotions, how the this what I call the central sensitization system becomes part of the pain. That's the first thing. Recognize that managing pain, you have to manage your own way of thinking, how you approach pain. Secondly, you have to have a good diagnosis. You have to have a good clinician to make sure that the pain mm-hmm. has a physical, very concrete 
origin before mm-hmm. you start doing anything else, mm-hmm. either yoga or any other alternative uh, options. You have to be very certain of what is the origin of your perceived pain. Once we yeah. have that, then mm-hmm. I will tell you, number one, get a good physical therapist for a good assessment of your capacity mm-hmm. to do exercise, to range of movement, and with that assessment, Let's go for yoga in a good studio with a good instructor that understands that yoga is more than poses. Mm-hmm. Yoga alone is insufficient to reverse disease or actually substantially improve health status. But the literature suggests that yoga, when combined with other interventions, can reap significant physiological and mental health benefits for Uh all the populations. Again, yoga is not about doing poses. It's not about a posture or or breathing correctly. It's about Mm -hmm. connecting mind and body, not Mm, about performing poses. Uh And that would be my my recommendation. See yoga as a philosophy of life that incorporates Mm how you approach others, how you live with yourself, how you exercise your body, how you breathe, and how you live a healthy life. Wow. And and that is a perfect note to end on. Um, It's about living a healthy life, um, improving the quality of life. Um, Please let the listeners know how if somebody wanted to get in touch with you or reach out to you after the show and hearing this, how how can they best reach you? The best way would be emailing angelbranamd at gmail.com. I will spell it A-N-G-E-L-B-R-A-N-A-M, as in Mary Diaz and David, angelbranamd at gmail.com. And I'd be more than glad to give any okay. orientation or any guidance or, you know, more information because this is a, this is a whole package, you know. This is uh, mm, yoga okay. for pain is a whole package that we have to, you know, delve more into it. Thank you so much again, uh, Dr. Brenner, for doing this show. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge here um, today and helping those listeners out there who may be struggling with pain. So I really appreciate your, your, your doing this and being on the show today. Thank you very much for inviting me. You are so welcome. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to For the Common Good common good show with Juanita Farrow and uh, you can catch us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, WDJY 99.1 FM in Atlanta or click on the link www.wdjyfm.com and you can hear us live every Tuesday at 4 o'clock Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week.